Welcome to the Holy Cross Sermon Podcast. This whole year we're exploring the life and teachings of Jesus in the book of Luke. We are currently in a series called Kingdom Come. We will be looking at passages at the end of Luke where Jesus prepared his followers on how to live and partner with the work of God's kingdom. Join us now as we dive into another passage. Would you pray with me? Father, we do ask that you would give us your Holy Spirit this morning to speak the truth of your gospel to us, that you would uh, help us to understand it, help us to hear it, and help us to apply it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please be seated? Well, good morning again. It's great to see you here this morning. I don't know if you've noticed how our vocabulary has changed in 2020. You remember when Zooming was something that you did in a Mazda, right? Zoom, Zoom. Pivoting was only something you did on a basketball court. Not me, though. I was only, I'm only 5'6". I didn't do much on a basketball court. And normal. Normal was a word that meant ordinary and boring. I'd be a rich man today if I had a dollar for every time somebody used the word normal. Let's get back to normal. I'm looking forward to the new normal. Trevor, you're not normal. (sighs) True story. In first century Judaism, a picture of normal life for Israel, for God's faithful people, centered on the temple. Not only was it the heart of the city of Jerusalem, where its huge structure of stone laden with gold and silver sat on the temple mount giving the appearance of a snow-capped mountain as people ascended into the city. More than that, it was the heart of their faith, the place where God's presence dwelled. And normal life for faithful Jewish people involved regular visits to the city and to the temple. And this is the setting for our reading today. Jesus has been on his way to Jerusalem for some time, and now he's arrived with his disciples for the Passover and his coming crucifixion. There, the temple, it is arguably more magnificent than it ever has been. Now you might recall its history. It was preceded by the tabernacle sanctuary in the wilderness. King Solomon built the temple in the 10th century B.C., 400 years later, it was destroyed, and the Babylons took God's people into exile. And then it was later rebuilt at the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. And now, for the last 50 years or so, King Herod has spent great green gobs of money on a spectacular renovation. And this is our scene. Jesus and his disciples are there. And you can hear the awe in in their voice as they talk about how the temple is adorned with noble stones and offerings. So imagine then for a moment how the disciples must have felt when, uh, how they would have responded to Jesus' revelation. This marvelous temple, he says in verse 6, these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon the other that will not be thrown down. Basically, the heart of their life, the center of their worship, the place they go to to have relationship with God is going to be destroyed. It is an alarming declaration. 
the most normal thing, the most normal locale will be destroyed. Imagine the emotion they must be feeling at the prospect of this loss. The loss of routine, the loss of community, the loss of relationship with God. But we really don't have to imagine, do we? Some of you are feeling that way today. 2020 and the coronavirus have brought us instability and fear, particularly regarding our physical and financial health. It has upended our relationships, leaving some to feel isolated, and even our connection with God is being impacted by this year. But it's not just COVID. We live in tension-filled times. In two days, we're going to vote in an election that has been described by both parties as an existential threat to our entire way of living. And we're halfway through the Greek alphabet when it comes to hurricanes, 11 of which that have hit the coast. And I don't know about you, but it seems like the entire West Coast of America is always on fire. And even if you don't feel that way about today's events, you either have or one day you're going to feel that way about other things. You know, I felt that day when I experienced several years of deep loneliness after my mom, who was the central hub of our family, died. I felt that way when I didn't get a job that I had my heart set on. It was destabilizing, disappointing, and I was distraught. Now, you certainly must have your own list. Perhaps you've been rejected by that dream girl, or you've been turned down by your first choice college. You have a loss of friends when you or someone else moves. When your kids grow up and go out on their own. When you retire and leave the role that was central to your identity for so many years. All of these events, the loss of the temple, the effects of 2020, everyday life transitions, They upend what is normal for us. And it is in those moments, I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm living out an REM song. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. Pop songs aren't terribly creative at times. And I feel fine. But do you feel fine? In those moments when your world's upended, when like the disciples in verse 7, you want to look at Jesus and go, wait, what? Teacher, what will happen? When will that be? What are the signs? Or you want to go, hey God, this isn't what I wanted. It wasn't what I expected. It wasn't what I asked for. I want to go back to normal. You know, the good days, no masks, when I get the girl, when I have the job. No, in those moments, we don't feel fine. And the heart of Jesus' message is this. In moments like these and many more, if you are in me, Jesus says, then you are fine eternally. And friends, if that is true, the real question you need to answer is this. If you are fine in Jesus, how do you remain in him when your world is falling apart? And Jesus makes this point clear. You do not have to be terrified when your world is upended. 
And he gives us three reasons for this. First, he says he expects it. Second, he's prepared for it. And third, in him, your future is already set and secure. First, he expects it. Our world is slowly coming to an end. The theological word for this is eschaton, which comes from the Greek word meaning last. Eschatology, it is the study of last things. And eschatology is the view that the teaching of Jesus is thoroughly concerned with proclaiming the imminent end of history. Now you might, like me, think, well, that's a real bummer. Because I like where we are most of the time. I don't want this uncertainty. And see, this is what his disciples are feeling. He's already told them that the temple would be destroyed. And that prophecy became true when the, when the Romans destroyed the temple in AD 70, just a few short years later. But he goes on and he looks through his prophetic telescope to the very end of times. So he's looking at two things. He's looking at the, uh, the uh, soon-to-be destruction of the temple, but he's also looking at his second coming. And this is the nature of our series right now called Kingdom Come. And so he looks out as he describes this destruction of the temple, and he looks out at the very end of time. And there he says in verse 8, imposters will come in his name. And they'll be claiming that the time is now. There will be war and tumult. I'm not sure what tumult is, but we'll have them. Um, Nations will rise against nations, famines and pestilence, and perhaps even a coronavirus or two. Jesus says all of these things will precede the end. He expects the end to come, and he knows what's going to happen. In verse verse 9, he says this, These things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Jesus is bringing an end to our broken and sinful world, and Jesus teaches us to expect the messy end. The second thing he says is he is prepared for the end. We see this in two places in our passage today. First, because he knows what's going to take place, he is able to tell us there in verse 9 as well, when you hear of these things, do not be terrified. Jesus is saying, I'm not surprised by any of them. He knows that some of his disciples are going to face persecution and arrest and tribunals. And he's given them the, he tells them that that's going to be their opportunity to share about the good news that is in Jesus Christ. He knows that they're going to face these things, and yet he's still able to make this amazing promise in verse 18. Not a hair on your head will be lost. Not a hair on your head will be lost. And the way Jesus is going to guarantee this is by dying for the sins of the world in just a few short days and rising again. This is his grand purpose, to go to the cross, to go to the grave, to rise again so that he might save you and me from our sins. And that brings us to my third point. You are fine even when your world is upended because your future is already secure. Not only does he say that not a hair on your head will be lost, 
but you will gain your life if you endure. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't die because we can just see it in the life of the disciples. Jesus' apocalyptic warning applies both to the end times and in the immediate future of the apostles. If you read the book of Acts, which is the second book penned by our author Luke, you will see a number of these things that he describes here in today's passage actually take place in the life of the disciples. They actually live out the verses of thir- verses 13 through 15. They are a bold witness for Jesus. The Holy Spirit gives them the words to speak in those moments. And then when they do speak these words, the tribunals that they've been brought before, they have nothing to do but to release them. And yet, even still, some of the apostles will die a martyr's death for Jesus. So then how do we gain our lives even if we die? How did they gain their lives if they died? And this is an important question for each one of us because the message of the world is about today. It is about this world. It is about this life. We work to have money so that we can uh, live uh, however we need today. We save money so that we can live however we want later, right? We go to the gym, maybe not these days as much, but we go to the gym to be healthy so that we can live as long as we can. The world tells us to avoid death at all costs. But for the Christian, it is normal for us to look forward to death. Because death for the Christian means eternal life with Jesus. Eternal life with God. And this is a beautiful thing. Because it's God's goal to be with us. And it is our goal to be with Him. And the Apostle Paul, he has lots to say about this. He writes that for us to live is Christ and to die is gain. If we live, we get to live for Him. And if we, get, if we die, it's better for us because we get to be with Him. He instructs the Colossians in chapter 3 to set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. See, Jesus, He knows this. He knows the future. He's prepared for it. And He knows that your future is already secure because if you put your trust in Him, your life, your very existence is hidden with Him in God. And the Bible says that in the end, when Jesus returns, the second coming, that the old will be gone and the new will come. And the new will be so perfect that we will never experience any of the pain, any of the disappointment, any of the destruction we do now. And there in the new heaven and the new earth, the thing you long for, the thing you need most, will be yours. It says it in Revelation 21 that the dwelling place of God is with man. And this is incredible good news. A few minutes ago I asked, if you are fine in Him now, how do you remain in Him when your world is falling apart? And I'm going to give you three quick quick ways. First, it comes down to this. 
when you have put your faith in Christ and trust Him with your life and begin to follow Him, He gives you His Holy Spirit to live in you. He literally makes His temple, that building in Jerusalem that's been destroyed, He actually makes His temple now your heart. The place where God dwells is no longer in some building half a world away. It is in you. The place where God dwells is in you. And in just a moment, I'm going to baptize little Riley over here, and I'll say these words. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. If you have put your faith in Christ, you are His own, and He has given you His Spirit, and He has marked you as His own forever. And He lives in you. And if the God who created everything and is keeping all things spinning in our world has over, and has overcome death, if He lives in you, nothing in this world can ever hurt you. And then in just a few minutes after we baptize Riley, we're going to come to this table and we'll receive communion, the body of Christ. We're going to symbolize that we take by faith Jesus into us so that we are inseparable from Him. It is a dramatic act meant to remind us of the theological truth, the truth of the gospel. So if you want to remain in Him, if you want to be immovable, if you want to have comfort in the midst of chaos, you have to receive Him. Perhaps now is the day you put your trust in Him fully and say, I need you. I want you, Jesus. Come into my life. If that's you, and you ask Him that, I promise you, He will come into your life. And you will have a secure future. The second way you remain in Him when your world is falling apart is to do exactly what Paul said to the Colossians. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of earth. This is what Paul means. Stop looking at your news feed. Stop watching the real-time Uh, balances of your retirements going up and down day to day. Stop looking at all the spaghetti model tracking of the hurricanes, right? Dwell on the things that matter. Dwell on the thing that matters. Read about Jesus. Think about Him. Pray to Him. Listen for His voice. Ask Him to help you when you are experiencing loss. And the Bible promises this, that God will keep in perfect peace those who trust in Him, all whose thoughts are fixed on Him. God will keep you in perfect peace even if your world is falling apart, if you focus on Him. And then third, surround yourselves with people who are looking up and not looking down. Every one of us needs the encouragement and prayers of fellow disciples who are seeking Jesus. And so if you are feeling destitute, if you're feeling isolated, if you're in need of a relationship, I want to encourage you to come up to me up here after the service or out in the courtyard and I will, and ask me and I will help you find a community of people who are looking up and not looking down.
Finally, the Bible says, trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is an eternal rock. The rocks of the temple, which were enormous, you could not imagine them being thrown down, are no longer there. But God, Jesus, He's always there for you. He is the eternal rock. He's made His home in you. He will not let you be destroyed. He's given you His Word. He's given you, through His Spirit, access to Him, to speak to Him, to hear from Him. He's given you brothers and sisters in faith for the journey to help you when it matters. So I have a cousin, and uh, I have several cousins, but I have one who is diagnosed as an infant with cancer. He wasn't meant to live. And miraculously, by much prayer... And by much prayer, he lived until he was 24. He graduated from college. He was an accomplished fundraiser for childhood cancer research. And he was a disciple of Jesus. And I remember his older sister wrote an incredible message after he died. In it, she said, we're devastated. But we are comforted that God, he's not shocked. He's not surprised. He's known all along Will's future, and he has loved him, prepared him, and held him securely in his hand. And we trust that he's doing that for us as well. Friends, I trust that he's doing that for you too. Let us pray. Father in heaven, help us to face every day every challenge, every fear, knowing that you live in us. And that because you live in us, nothing we face will be victorious over us because of your Son, because of your Spirit, because of your promise. I pray you would unite us together in your word and promise, unite us together as fellow disciples traveling life together, and finally unite us together around your table as we receive you. We are so grateful for the gift of yourself that you make your home in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.